Hey, common scientists, we're coming to you today with the topic of free will. So if you think about the choices that you made today, what did you eat for breakfast? What are you doing right now? Why did you decide to watch our podcast? Do you think you were the one who decided those? So we're going to get into answering that question a little bit today. I'm going to kick it to Aiden to start off. Just a reminder, as we dive in, we are common scientists. That means we don't necessarily have all of the answers, and that's not even the goal. The goal is to explore together, to learn together, and hopefully come to some common understanding of what free will means, and we hope that that might add some value to your lives as well as our own. So A, you want to kick it off with the definition of free will? Yeah, so I'll kick it off with Merriam-Webster's. Merriam-Webster's two definitions of free will. So the first one is voluntary choice or decision. And the second is freedom of humans to make choices that are not determined by prior causes or by divine intervention. And in a sentence uh, is I do this of my own free will. Yeah, Dre. Yeah, thanks, Aiden. So there's... The, the general idea that we think of free will is, I think, usually libertarian free will, which essentially was the second definition that you said, Aiden, which can be roughly translated as at least some of human decisions or actions are made of, of our own free will, right? We can choose at least some of our actions. And one of the reasons why I, I am excited to talk about this and I, I was excited to research this is because... It's something that I've always heard about growing up. I just like, whether it be like in Christianity or just in certain areas of life, blah, blah, blah. It was always something that I've heard. And it just kind of seems like, oh, of course we have free will. Like, what do you mean? Like, I could not, as a kid, teenage, young teen, I could not wrap my head around this. Like, how do, like, I'm making my choices. Obviously, I'm choosing to do this. I'm choosing to go to the gym. I'm choosing to work hard, et cetera, et cetera. But then in college, so I studied psychology and neuroscience. And in one of my neuroscience classes, we were talking about free will and these studies like by people like the likes of Benjamin Labette and stuff like that, where they were uh, doing these experiments and they were finding that the decision through like fMRIs or whatever, the decision to do an action, the trigger was seen in the brain before the person consciously made the, the, the decision. And for me, that was just like kind of mind blowing because I thought about it as a spiritual sense, like uh, like growing up, uh, learning about Christianity and, and the such, where do, does God control, like have full control of the universe? Does the creator control this or does whatever that might be? But I never really thought about it in the sense of like, oh, like our brain is making decisions before we're consciously aware of them. And that really, really blew my mind. And that was, I was probably 21 years old or something like that. That was really what launched me into this really extreme interest in free will and whether or not we have it. So what's the verdict? Do you guys think we have free will? I would like us to. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I hear that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I haven't... uh, I haven't totally decided one way or the other. I'm leaning towards, uh, based on my research and just prior experience, uh, I'm leaning towards that this idea that... Uh, we make choices that are not determined, uh, that that is, uh, that that is kind of false, a falsehood and that like we, our actions and our, uh, and the consequences of them are quite, uh, 
determined in some sense. Uh, but I, I definitely uh, choose to believe in free will most of the time <laughs> when, I'm not, when I'm not engaging in, in a free will podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I do not believe in free will. I don't think that it exists. I think that our actions are made without like our conscious decision and that we just give a lot of meaning to them and we just have this illusion that we're actually making them. But yeah, but I've heard a lot of smart people say that they would like to believe in it. That seems like the, the <laughs> argument a lot of times. The argument against free will to me or for free will to me is a lot of times I'm hearing people say, I want to believe in it. And I'm like, okay, like, I feel you. <laughs> I feel you, but what do you, what do you think, Lauren? Um, good question. And I don't know if I have an answer for you right at this moment. Not necessarily because I don't know, but because I don't want to, I don't want to say. Mm. I'm curious, though, you said you were about 21 and you recalled being in a class and like having your mind kind of blown. At mm -hmm. least that's what I'm picturing. Like, what was that like for you? Do you remember, I mean, thoughts or feelings? Was it really pivotal? Did it affect your week, just your day, just your mm. hour? Yeah, it it has, it's slow. It was kind of like a slow burn, like over more and more time as it sat with me, it started to change my belief system and how I relate to people and how I view the world and human behavior uh, more and more over time. But in the beginning, it was definitely like shocking. Like it definitely shocked my system. Like, as I said, I, I've never heard of free will in the neuroscience uh, lens. It was mostly like a spiritual thing or like maybe a logical philosophical thing. But so that, that really blew my mind that there might be, and it, you know, there's obviously people debate whether that was actually an instant, like whether that actually disputes free will, if it was actually the decision being made, or if it was some sort of trigger that whatever, <laughs> look into the research if you guys are interested in it. But for me, it's the evidence, whether it be neuroscientifically, uh, physically, as in physics, or logically, philosophically, I think so much of the evidence leans towards us not having free will, our decisions kind of being predetermined uh or are caused by things outside of our control that i it's difficult for me to believe in free will but yes to, to answer your question more directly i was definitely just floored by it and i think a lot of us around that age whether you went to college or you're just around that age we oh, like our world is really good there's a couple ideas that really opens up our minds when we start uh really diving in and being around like people who know way more than us and people with much different perspectives than us and then i'm just like this little minnesota kid who thought like he was gonna go to the nba and like basketball was everything and the only thing like i was in full control of my destiny and all stuff and then i take this class and i'm like oh okay i'm not controlling anything <laughs> wow what a what a neuroscientist to just totally shift your Overton window in a way that may or may not have been positive. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I just, I value hearing a little bit more about what that experience was like for you. I think I will answer your question. Not right now, though. I think we should talk about some of these backgrounds of like, okay, when when, and where did this debate come from? And maybe we don't know the when, but we know some of what the debate is. And why do you suppose people talk about free will? So, so I think to answer a little bit of my own question, then I'll kick it to one of you guys. I think the debate's been around a long time. Mm -hmm. Like some of the most well-known philosophers to be documented in history 
in world history talked about decision making and were fascinated, I think, by why people choose what they choose. And my understanding is that that question, like, why do we do what we do, was kind of some of the beginnings of this conversation of free will. I don't know if you guys want to jump in. Um, so I'm not as familiar with the like different terminology of the schools of thought. Mm -hmm. um, one person who I, uh, one historical figure who in psychology uh, is William James and he's known as the father of American psychology. And this is a little bit uh, less of a direct answer to your question, um, but he mostly talks about how in free will there's this concept of uh, chance and choice and just trying to, like those are kind of the like two parts of the question and trying to like break apart the question of does free will exist uh, is like trying to delineate between uh, the like chance that exists that an event will occur mm -hmm. and the like the choice that uh, of a set of possible actions you uh, actively had a role in that uh, and independently had a role in that selection of of action um yeah that's just kind of the the very basic premise that i've i've come across in the the argument uh around free will and i think dre would probably do it more justice uh talking about the different uh historical debates at least mm, yeah <clears throat> I don't know a hundred percent about uh like like you're saying like origins or like all these like big debates i know obviously it's been going on for a super mm -hmm. long time i know hobbes and hume are huge on it and i think hobbes was like a compatible compatibilist which essentially is some sort of mix of determinism and free will and i think it could be either some things are determined some things are of our own free will or it could be a lot of people do this where it's like yes we do have these constraints on us on our human experience but within that or under that umbrella we do have free will which to me that's kind of just like i don't nonsense because it's like what <laughs> if we have if the umbrella is determinism or like no free will then whatever free will we have inside of that is not actually free will it's just an illusion of free will which of course that's something that people always talk about illusion of free will but yeah so one of the so going back to my studying of the bible and kind of talking about these ancient ideas or how long we're talking about it. I know like the Bible, which is a couple thousand years old, talks a lot about free will, whether it be directly or indirectly. And I am curious about uh, your ideas on this as a Christian. But one, a couple of things. Number one, Paul talks a lot about like, why doesn't he do what he wants to do? And he talks about like his spirit versus his flesh and his flesh causing him to like sin and do what he doesn't want to do. But at the same time, like he's trying to strive for this. And like that to me is like a clear kind of argument, whether he uses merch people or not, is like a battle between like, do I have free will? Are things determined? And there's this idea of like the devil and temptation and doing things that are outside of your control. And then there's also the idea of predestination, which is at least in Calvinistic Christianity, I believe, where God is this like being out of time and he has predetermined or predestined 
the his flock and people that will be saved. And if you're ever in God's hand, you can never leave God's hand. And if you've ever left it, then you were never in his hand, right? You were never part of his flock. Uh, and I remember battling these ideas and struggling and trying to like philosophically, religiously, morally deal with them. And that was actually most of my introduction to free will was through the Bible and some of these passages. And I mean, I don't know. Uh, have you, are you familiar with some of these passages, Lauren? Yeah. Okay. And what are your thoughts on them? So specific to the passage about Paul struggling to like do what he intended. And I think for our listeners, so the Apostle Paul was a uh, follower of Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ. And um, he wrote quite a lot. I think a good portion of the Bible, if I'm remembering correctly, correctly, you guys will have to do your homework. But, and Aiden, you might even know better than I, since you studied some of that also in the Catholic Church um, growing up. I do not. Okay, sounds good. (laughs) But basically, he wrote this kind of heartfelt saga that I would say most humans can relate to where he was just super frustrated with himself and and kind of in conversation I think with God and saying like I don't understand I do do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I do want to do what I know would be good for me what I know is godly I like this struggle between being born into sin which is what it means to be human in biblical terms but wanting to achieve this higher self, which is like this version of of yourself being reborn into Christianity. And my personal understanding of that passage is that like, like all of us, we desire to, and many of us at least desire to be our best selves or to grow into a version of oneself that they think maybe better than who you are today and like achieving 1% better, you know, tomorrow or the next day or the next day being better than you were yesterday. That's something I think a lot of people strive for. I think it's something a lot of people fail at. I think it's something most people fail at. I do like every day. I mean, there are days that are like, yes, it's great, but it could always be better. And I think, I mean, his struggle was just a good example of what it means to be human and of what it means to be a human who is working on like making themselves a better version of themselves and I don't really I don't really see any comment necessarily on free will per se I do just think it's really challenging to like move yourself forward or to progress or to evolve and I do think that humans are born into sin Um, and I don't think there's any like magic baptism or answer that will just make you good. I think that, and these are like Lauren thoughts, not Christianity thoughts per se. Um, and I know some Christians who would really disagree with me, but I do think that humans are born not good and like we have to strive to choose to be good. Does that answer your question? Yeah. 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 Um, I think the... So the striving to be good that I heard in your response, uh, and we've had the the conversation about being born into sin and past casts, but 
Um, so to step a bit further into like the, the willing your, yourself to, uh, to a better life and a better version of yourself. Uh, one, so this might've been, um, just my, my biases in my research, uh, in wanting to believe in, in free will. Uh, there was an experiment that looked at, uh, that tested these students and they would prime them, uh, with, uh, passages that would either kind of either say that things are deterministic. In other words, that free will does not exist. Things are laid out ahead of you, uh, no matter what you do. And those students who were primed with that information ended up actually, uh, actually cheating more often on the exams. And yeah, it, Kind of, uh, so I came across this through, I think it's, uh, what is his name? Demet, mm -hmm. uh, Daniel Demet, who is describing uh, the, the free will debate. And he talked about how uh, just it is problematic that this, uh, the message of free will not existing because it seems that it leads to more negative outcomes for people. Um, but it's kind of, I mean, it is kind of interesting that what from like the Bible, which is teaching people how to live, right? Uh, just the, that that message is kind of echoed in there that like, yeah, you have to choose to be good um, or whether or not I might've heard you wrong, but it was like your, at least your Lauren thoughts. Um, but anyways. Yeah. yeah, the Bible when it comes to free will, though, more generally, super confusing. Because on the one hand, it's like, choose to be good, even though you're destined to screw up. And on the other hand, it's like, but don't worry too much, because God has a plan for your life. And mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. I don't know that, like, anyone who tries <clears throat> to say that biblically or that Christianity stands either for or against free will, I would say they're, they're idiots. They're, they're taking, you know, some yeah. part of the message, which most, most Christians already do. I mean, in all the ways for the sermon, for the life, for whatever it is. Um, but I don't think the Bible has like a, and again, these are Lauren thoughts and I didn't go to seminary. Maybe you should talk to my dad. Uh, but like, I mean, yeah, it's super confusing. And it was something, not free will, not the question of free will, but the idea of good living and like choosing or trying to have good living was something that I was really frustrated with early on with about Christianity. I was like, what the hell? So you like, so I'm signed up to be on some better path that doesn't exist because it's impossible for me because I'm human to choose to be good all the time. And, like, feeling set up for failure was really frustrating with me as a youth. Hmm. But I, but then being told at the end of the day, but don't worry, like, God has a plan. Um, yeah. Super confusing when it comes to free will, when it comes oh, to, yeah. I mean, personal growth as, a, as an adolescent. Yeah, I'm not sure, like, chicken or egg, but there's kind of, 
obviously our culture is influenced greatly by Christianity, but there's ideas such as like Romans, whatever, where it's like all things, like all things will work in God's good or whatever it is, or God is working things for your good or something like that, which is that same idea of like, oh, God's got a plan for you. <clears throat> and uh, we hear this apart from Christianity all the time where it's like, oh, everything happens for a reason. It's like, okay, but what, like, what, yes, you are right. There is a reason, like there's a cause to, for everything, but it's like, what do you mean everything has happens for a reason? Like, what are you trying to say? And of course, a lot of this, at least to me, is just rationalizing and try to put some level of control upon things that might just be relatively random or like you didn't ask for, you didn't want. Specifically, if we get into like the just world hypothesis where we think that good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people, then you have to like rationalize like, oh, why did I get cancer? Why did my little sister pass away? Why did these things happen? And you have to, you don't have to, but a lot of people are drawn to this idea that there is some sort of greater force, whether it's an energy, universe, God, et cetera, some overall love goodness, that it there is some sort of thing that's guiding humanity, that's looking out for us to some degree, things are happening for a reason. And it is, it's pretty interesting to me, whether, like, whether it's through Christianity or whether some, it's just like a human thing. I think in general, we don't like, like why I think people like naturally want to believe in free will. Number one, it's like, it seems intuitive. It feels like we have free will, but then also if we don't have free will to your article and to other ideas of the value of believing in free will, it's like, it's terrifying. It's like, well, like I don't control my thoughts. I don't control what I do. And then it's also like, then you can get really nihilistic where it's like, well, then why does anything matter? Like why I can yeah. just cheat on this test and everything can become very either meaningless or just like not hedonistic, but just like, hey, I'm just going to do whatever I want for my own good because none of this shit matters anyway. Yeah. But just because, and I, I'm familiar with uh, Demet and I don't care for his work because he's one of those thinkers that is like, because believing in free will is, leads to morally upright behavior therefore we should believe in free will and i'm just like what like that that's not logic like what do you mean like either free will well i'm not saying either it exists or it doesn't but you were not making good arguments for the existence of it you're just saying it would be better for us if we believe in it so therefore we should pretend like it exists and he doesn't make a lot of good arguments that's like every time i hear him talk it's like it's something like that like we were saying yeah. like if kids if kids are primed to know that free that that determinism is real and free will is not, then we cheat. Or if he'll like, I've heard him like make examples about like doctors and doing these experiments. And I'm just like, okay, I get that, that we, sh maybe we should pretend like it exists, but that doesn't get to the root of like, does it actually exist? And I think that if it doesn't exist, that also gives us a moral imperative to treat people in a much different way with a lot more kindness and compassion because we can understand that hey a lot of these or like possibly everything that they do was out of their control so maybe we need to reform the prison system and maybe we shouldn't look so harshly at people and like be like you know like someone does something like oh so good like kill him or like he should be tortured and this and that and i'm like oh my gosh okay maybe guys this is an aside yeah go ahead but so I, I had been teaching for a period of time and I, <laughs> I decided to, I decided to play mafia with okay. my students. My students were ninth graders at the time. And if you don't know what mafia is, you're missing out. Uh, it's kind of like a life-size game of Clue where there are, or there either are or is one 
murderer or two, and then like a cop and a nurse or a doctor, and you can kind of role play to figure out who's who. And it was my last day of teaching, and I was had been filling in for a period of time for, for in a long-term subbing position, and the students wanted to play a game. So we, we came up with Mafia. And in every single class, I gave the students the option of jailing our suspects or the death penalty for our suspects. And I don't know, like, if it's human nature or if it's just ninth graders or what it is, but, and I was very, like, I didn't suggest anything. I was like, in the town of Pillowsville, we can have either this or this. And in every class, every class, it was like, death penalty, like, oh, we gotta kill them. I was like, I was surprised. Um... But yeah, just what you had just said just reminded me of that. I was like, mm -hmm. wow, human nature. And I <clears throat> was thinking about all of these young ninth graders who have immature prefrontal cortex. <laughs> uh, and all of them were like, death penalty. And I was like, guys, like everyone's just doing their best here in Pillowsville. But okay, like I'm just the narrator. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good, good little story. Um, I see that a lot too with my kids. It's like this very harsh. I didn't get that. Could you try these very harsh sentences upon people and just like, whoa, like, hold on, guys. I think that is an interesting window into who we are as people, right? Because yeah. like a lot of that childishness, that lack of a, you know, forward thinking or like deep thinking sticks with us. And I feel like to both of our points now, that's where I do get frustrated with our society or just humans in general, where it's like these really harsh. Ex um, harsh responses whether it be to someone committing a crime or like cancel culture culture it's like yeah but where did our compassion go where did our desire for rehabilitation go and that's where i get really frustrated because i'm just like we have this really strong desire to believe in free will for two reasons i think number one it seems like we have free will so it just feels natural but then also because without free will we can't hold people responsible. We can't hold people accountable. We can't hold like, we can't, there's a lack of control, which unpredictability makes humans very uncomfortable. And that desire to hold people responsible and accountable for certain things, I think is just a little bit too extreme uh, in general in human nature. Yeah, I agree with your argument regarding, I mean, where society stands in a lot of ways. So I suppose now might be a good time to explain a little bit about where I come to this conversation in my lens. So I would probably consider myself a contemporary compatibilist. So I'll explain. We've been throwing around some terminology, and for our listeners, I think it will be helpful to go through a few of these things. Um, and... I'll maybe have Dre hop in when I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. <laughs> but basically, there is this idea called determinism. Um, and if you think of the word like to determine, we just, it, it means like that something happens. And specifically, determinism is the school of thought or the idea that only one event is going to take place. Like, 
in the past or in the future, right? Like only whatever next move you make is only the next move you're ever going to make. So like if you're watching right now, you are only ever going to watch our podcast right now. And once you buy into or if you buy into determinism, there was this group of people who thought, okay, if there's only one event that could ever take place, then do we ever really have a choice? And these people said, well, well, no, those two, those two ideas are incompatible. So we called them incompatibilists, or they believed in incompatibilism, the idea that free will was not compatible with determinism. And things kind of break down from there. So people who are incompatible can be like metaphysically libertarianism, or they can be like a hard determinist and things start to get even muddier as you go down. But to explain at least where I come to the table, a contemporary compatibilist believes that determinism is real, like there is only one path that your life is going to take or my life is going to take. I was only ever going to meet Aiden when I hit the bear on Highway 10. <laughs> like I was only ever going to start a podcast with Dre and Aiden. Um, but within contemporary compatibilism, I believe that those events were compatible with me being able to make choices of my own free will. And I would say too, underneath that umbrella, and now this is my own feelings more personally, like I'm not naive to the fact that autonomous choices are nearly impossible, but I would say that it approaches a limit. I would not say that we've ever reached a limit and if you're a math person, you can maybe kind of picture what I'm, what I'm imagining. But like, we might, you might approach making a totally autonomous decision. But I think that if you're close, um, like you decided it all on your own. I think that if you get like above 50%, you can consider it your own. Um, Because I don't think you can make a decision without I mean, your history and your biases and all of those things are informed by society and structure and everyone, I mean, who's ever been involved in your life. But I think if you can get to some threshold, that choice was yours. And like in that choice, you had free will. So, yeah, that's a fascinating take on it. I'll present my take on it and then let Dre... She shoot some holes in the, in the, uh, in our, in our, where we're coming from. So I would also, I know at the beginning of the cast, I was saying that I'm not totally sure I believe in it, but I think I'm going to take the strategy of William James and I'll, uh, I'll give a quote by him. So at any rate, I'll assume for the present until next year that it is no illusion. My first act of free will shall be to believe in free will. And so I think that why I'm coming to that in this cast is like in the definition of exists. Like I think that there is, 
I agree with Lauren that there is one, and with determinists at large, that there is one path that my life is going to take no matter what, like that I am only ever going to be speaking these words at this precise moment in time. Uh, however, I'm thinking as far as the existence, and this is related to some other thoughts I've, I've been having around like the existence of different uh, concepts, but I think that the, the existence of free will, if it were to exist, exists in this like meta uh, reality that is not the physical world that we exist in. Uh, and a, an analogy to like this sort of meta reality uh, whether or not they're the same realities is I think of the the internet and the way things are going in terms of virtual reality and that there are these planes of uh, like cause and effect that exists just outside of what we think of as reality uh, or at least I generally think of as reality, which is like what I can touch, see, hear. Um, and so it, like, that's where I think if free will were to exist, what exists is in some sort of like meta, uh, yeah, just meta reality. That's like a, a, an abstraction, a layer of abstraction away from the, uh, just our daily lives. I really like your argument, <laughs> mainly because I think we only exist in a meta reality. And so like, I don't, because human consciousness is not something that we have ever been able to measure. And like, because we know that everything that we sense is like only ever going to be an interpretation of what's real around us. I, I think the only reality we exist in is not physical, is meta. Yeah, you're saying the only reality that we exist in, you're saying like our consciousness yeah. exists in. Yeah, is, like is the only... self, the person, the individual. Yeah. But... Those are interesting points. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's an inter interesting discussion for sure. Especially once you just like, like we, we, I mean, I don't even know that much about consciousness. But if we start talking about that and theorizing about that and philosophizing about that, it's obviously it just it gets crazy. It gets exciting. Yeah. But I think even if we talk about consciousness or decision making or the self, <clears throat> at the end of the day, the consciousness, the mind, the self comes from the brain or like at least or at least seems directly attached to the brain. And the brain is biological. The biological is physical and what's physical is deterministic because what's physical is influenced by cause and effect. Every single physical thing is either from, at least from my research, is either like caused or perhaps random. But even if it's random, that doesn't, that by definition, it means we don't have control over random things. It's random. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> so even if we get into like the mind or anything like that, unless we're gonna get really spiritual and start being like, oh, like this is a soul that exists. Unless we get into that, that's different. Um, and like to your point, it's like it's maybe untestable, at least in our current understanding, current mm -hmm. capabilities. But if we, to me, we can break down our decision making in the mind into the physical, and the physical is by nature deterministic or random. 
if you're talking mm -hmm. about quantum physics. And that is by that's by definition things that we don't control. And for me, there's just so many levels of things that we don't control. Like we didn't control who we were born to, where we were born, when we were born, where our genetics come from, gen any genetic dispositions, uh, the diet that we grew up eating, the influences we had in our gestational period, and so on and so on, like advertisements that we see every day, so on and so on and so on. Like just being human has its own limits and its own sort of restrictions that to me, it doesn't make any, it doesn't, just doesn't make any sense. It's so hard to make an argument about free will when we have all of these influences, both external and internal, that kind of influence who we are and how we make decisions. For example, like if you're saying I myself make a free decision, well, how did I become I? Well, you'd have to go into genetics and this, man, blah, blah. None of that did you control. So to me, it doesn't like it's, it's more like it's just the illusion of free will. It's like, yes, we can pretend like we have free will. It feels like we have free will. We should act as if we have free will, yes. But at the end of the day, there's so many things beyond us that make us exactly who we are that there really isn't any sensible way to say that we have free will. I could get on board with maybe like a definition sort of like that. And like within, if within the definition of free will, if I said, yes, we have free will and free will is an illusion of acting freely, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I, like I would be I would be fine with that cuz I do think there are like there are so many pieces that influence I mean where you are right now in this yeah. moment, right? Like all of these right. So many. So I I hear you. I just think I mean, yeah, I just think like within that within that we do make choices or at least we have illusions that we make choices and like that's good enough for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. For me, though, what I start to consider is in uh, complex systems where there are these just many interacting parts, uh, there is a, a trait of those systems uh, called emergence uh, where you'll have these many little different parts and they'll interact together and understanding those little parts and how they individually interact will provide no insight into like the higher levels of the system. And so an example of that would be, uh, like looking at, so, oh, I'm having like a, a little bit of a, I mean, an example of that would be if you're like in a, in music like you have each of the individual notes and if you know like the the one note comes before this note that doesn't really tell you anything about the structure of a song um, whereas a song will have harmonics and all this other uh all these other characteristics to it and so like the existence of free will at this like higher level of abstraction like obviously you have your neurons firing or not firing ones or zeros mm -hmm. um this this free will which i mean is an illusion to like physical reality might actually like exist in this abstracted away like version of uh like consciousness like in so the analogy would be like the song is the symphony 
or the symphony is free will is uh, free will or at least or maybe the symphony is consciousness consciousness itself and then free will is an aspect of that symphony um, whether or not those things exist in the physical reality like no they don't mm-hmm. but they exist at this like higher plane <clears throat> or just different plane of mm-hmm. reality that is the the symphony as as you will yeah that's an interesting argument um that, go ahead go ahead okay sorry musical aside <laughs> slash also common science tidbit uh I, I appreciated the argument. It was a little meta. You tend to be. That's fine. Uh, it's a meta argument. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Like the piece, the piece that I was a little bit lost by, and specifically for this example, is the notes like not informing the symphony. Because literally, Dmitry Mendeleev, who is responsible for most of the modern periodic table, or like the the earliest, most accurate version of what became the modern periodic table of elements. Um, If you don't know, that's like that table that looks kind of like that with like oxygen and all the things on it. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the more original structures was based off of like music and octaves and like because of how we knew how the notes played like together they are able to put together a somewhat accurate um picture or chart or table of what the periodic table was going to eventually look like and it Mm. even allowed it was so accurate that it even helped predict elements that were not yet discovered (laughs) um and so like that one piece of your argument i struggled with a little bit because i just I mean, like, not so long ago was telling my ninth graders how cool it was that, like, you could predict the future using science. So I think... But that's, like, kind of an aside. uh, Yeah, correct and clarify my thinking. Um, I guess that's where... And that that would be where the compatibilism comes in in that these individual elements do determine these overarching structures... Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that the overarching structures do not exist. And the overarching structures being the symphony or free will or consciousness. Mm-hmm. Even, if, even if they don't exist, like they might not exist in physical reality, but they exist in some sense. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> yeah, an argument for like free will being an emergent property is interesting. I've heard uh, consciousness be called an emergent property or be theorized or hypothesized as an emergent property. And I'm not sure, I can't recall the definition you gave or if you gave a definition definition for emergent properties, but essentially, yes, emergent properties are where this, where the overall entity has different qualities than all of its parts, right? So the parts come together, none of them have this quality, but somehow the whole has the quality. Yeah. which is like interesting. I, I'm pretty sure life is an emergent property because yeah. all of our smaller basic parts aren't alive, but somehow we're alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I actually uh, drew the, like the reason why I chose music was mm-hmm. because there is this uh, uh, evolutionary biologist who 
uh, talks about the music of life and mm-hmm. like that, that that is what life is. Um, so yeah, I just I'm not inherently a musician or anything, and that's why I chose it is because of that. But anyways, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I I suppose that could be possible. I'd have to think on it a lot more. Nevertheless. I just think that consciousness and decisions are so tethered to the physical brain that it's such a hard, like you, like you have to get so meta, you have to get so like this and that, and maybe where it's just like, I think logically speaking, or just like, if you just take it at face value and, and take a, like, I guess it's not logical because it's not intuitive to say that we don't have free will, but once you have all the arguments in front of you, I think that's a little bit more of a leap to think that that would be the case, but I could be wrong. But even to like, so you guys have heard of this like famous case where there was this man who had a perfectly normal sexual life and then randomly he started getting attracted to the kids. He got arrested for a child pornography and he's, while he was in prison or jail or whatnot, they found out that he had a tumor in his brain and he was telling them like, hey, this has never been the case before. All of a sudden I started getting these really strong urges. I couldn't control myself, blah, blah, blah. They take the tumor out and all the urges went away and his attraction to child pornography and children, et cetera. And then there might be a couple of these cases or it might just be this one guy. I believe then sometime later, the urges came back, they brought him in for a scan, the tumor was back. So there's certain things, whether it be philosophically, neuroscientifically, uh, brain-wise, or uh, physically, like physics, that the arguments seem so strong in their own way that it makes me really, really hard pressed to believe that true free will exist. For example, like that guy, it's like he obviously didn't want to look at this stuff and go to prison, but a physical change happened to his brain that changed a huge part of his personality. And I would say that it forced him to do that, right? He didn't, he wasn't in control of his desires. And that's a huge part of the free will argument is that we talk about will and desires and Arthur, Arthur Schopenhauer talks about, yes, you can do what you want, but you can't will what you want. You can't want what you want. You just want it, right? You just do. And even if like, say it's like, oh, well, what if I want, don't want to go to the gym, but then I force myself to go to the gym. It's like, no, you still want to go to the gym. There was just another desire that you didn't want the pain of going to the gym. But overall you didn't control your want to go to the gym. You wanted to go to the gym, because you have some deep seated thing inside you that has impacted you, influenced you to say, Hey, I want to be healthier. I want to look better. I want to do these things. And I think that's another argument that I really do subscribe to is that no matter where you go with desires and wants and will, you can always keep going deeper and deeper and deeper to the point where it's like, well, yeah, like I don't like, where did these wants come from? Where did my thoughts come from? And just like, as I'm talking, thoughts are popping in your guys' head. You're not controlling them. So it's like, if we don't control every one of our thoughts and to me, we don't control any of our desires, even if we like over time, we change our, what we want and desire. That doesn't, that just means that there was something in you that wanted to change. It doesn't mean you change your wants. Right. So for me, that logical philosophical reasoning really holds up because it's like, yeah, at the end of the day, you just want what you want. That's why they're called preferences because you just have these preferences. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I, so Sam Harris is a big uh, like thinker on the whole uh, lack of free will in particular. And so he has some just, yeah, I mean, I mean, 
conversations on, on things that that you talk on. I think for me that so something in statistics is the central limit theorem, uh, where the more and more uh, subjects you have or data. or data you have, the more and more predictable kind of the the mean is or the uh, result is. So like if you're if we're thinking about uh, like hmm, I'm trying to think of Lauren, can you think of any good examples of the central limit theorem since you're to just put me on a spot like that. I mean, like, I think it's just like, this is maybe silly, but like the more times you try a recipe, like the, the closer you'll get to like your best version of your recipe. And like, that's not super numerical, but it is to say like the more times or the more N you have, the more data points you have, the more accurate you're going to be. And like, it applies to pretty much everything in life and so it could be as simple as like trying something new in the kitchen and like perfecting a recipe like the more times you try the closer you are going to get to whatever your version of that perfect recipe is it's also true as you take a bunch of bunch of data points in so it's like if you have all of the possible data from let's say like women who use their apple watches you might be able to figure out like the larger the larger, the more amount of women that you have in your study that have Apple Watches, like the closer you will get to determining whatever it is you're trying to find out. Yeah. So know. like if we're, if you're trying to find out the av- like the average amount of time that all women who use their Apple Watches you use them, uh, like the more women you have in your sample size, the more predictable that is. Um, whereas if you have just one Person, it's really really hard to predict what like the actual the um, actual amount of time that women spend on their Apple watches and so the connection to the free will that I'm I'm thinking of is that like on this grander societal level it is it is much easier to make predictions of like averages and how like the percent of people who are gonna commit some crime or whatever else, but it's terrifically difficult to anticipate what one individual is going to do. Mm -hmm. And so I think like that's maybe where some of the like conflict comes in free will. Like each person, I mean, just doesn't know like where their actions will take them because like you said, they don't really have this control over their uh, wants or desires. Uh, the reason why I think that maybe, like, assuming my theory that free will is this uh, meta-emergent property that, uh, through an evolutionary lens, developed over time. Like that, the reason why an individual like might still like need this uh, is that they they need kind of a um, they need like I'm trying to think of where I'm, 
together a whole bunch of different ideas. Um, but I think that the, the individual needs to like have some sort of direction uh, and like free will helps them in choosing that direction rather than being directionless. Uh, but at a larger scale, obviously, you're, we're talking about how things are, what, or I was talking about how things are much more predictable at like a larger scale. So at a societal level, like I think maybe treating things like the, I'm trying to think of what my main point was here, but just that the, at the societal level, I mean, you're totally right, Dre, about the, the criminal justice system and that like we need to start treating people uh more compassionately but i do think still like and this is the compatibilist in me like i, I do still think that there is like a, a necessary like individuals like, <clears throat> individuals still need like this free will yeah um yeah feeling yeah, I understand the value of believing yeah. in free will, hundred percent. I understand it. I just don't. Just don't yeah. think, I think it's it true. exists. Yeah, I just don't think it exists. But I, I understand that we should continue living as though there is, to an extent. Where I think, understanding scientifically that there might not be free will, yeah, will lend itself to some better understanding of how to treat human beings, whether it be the extreme of like a prison system. But we already have some of this set up, right? For example, we treat the mentally ill or the yeah. criminally insane much different. We treat children much different. Like throughout in my classroom, it's like a whole bunch of, oh, like they're just kids, right? Which means essentially they're not in control because their yeah. emotions are too strong. They can't think straight. Well, it's like it's the same thing for adults just to a lesser extent. We just have developed I'm like going to like the frontal cortex being more developed. That's just the illusion of free will. That's where the illusion of free will comes from, is this idea that we are in control because that helps us navigate this world in a meaningful way. And we talked about in, some of our, in one of our foreign podcasts of how important having a purpose is, and you touched on it there. Mm -hmm. So I understand why this, and humans, we like talk about defense mechanisms, we put up all these guards to help navigate life. So free will to me is just a defense mechanism. It's something to help, maybe not just a defense mechanism, but it's kind of on that idea where it's like, it's something that helps us navigate life in a purposeful way. Because without purpose or this meaning or this understanding, we would be like victims of like despondency and yeah. like lack of control. Right. So I understand the value of it, but at the same time, and like we still treat kids to an extent like they don't have free will, right? We give them that type of leniency, like, oh, they're just not, their brains aren't developed. Mentally ill people, we do it. People with addictions, we could do it to an extent. We understand that there is things beyond our control that control us. Yeah. But for some reason, with, well, not for some reason, we know why when it comes to the masses, it's like everybody is responsible for themselves and you do what you choose and this and that. And it's just like, I just think it's, it leads to some toxic interactions between humanity that are just like relatively inaccurate. So. On that note, common scientists. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that this cast pushed you a little bit to think, to challenge, uh, to challenge yourself, to ask yourself why maybe you you do what you do, um, and maybe a step further, like what is it that determines a course of action if there is only one course of action? Other than that, common scientists. Could you? 
serious calling. <laughs> <laughs> um, I hope you guys will tune in next time. We really appreciate you. We appreciate all the support. And we look forward to our journey together as common scientists. Hey, common scientists. Hope you enjoyed the cast. Thanks for investing in common science. We hope it brought as much value to you as it did to us. To learn more, smash the subscribe button and visit our website, commonscientists.com, where you can read our blog, join our email newsletter, and follow us on social media. Finally, if you like what we have to say, you can absolutely support us on Patreon. We can always use more support. You can navigate there also from our website, commonscientists.com, common scientists with an S, so that we can continue cultivating a community of common scientists.